1: Learn more at marines.com. The
0: dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? Wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over.
1: Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. This is the big fight reaction to Jaime Munguia's victory over John Ryder. Jamie, as always, you join me for this big fight weekly reaction show. And we've got some meat on the bone for this episode to certainly talk about the performance of Munguia, where John Ryder goes next. And there has been a couple of fights announced in the past few days, which are creating some interesting talking points when I refer to Tim Zo versus Keith Furman and I refer to Roley Romero versus Isaac Cruz but Jamie let's come to you first and foremost Jaime Munguia he systematically broke down and beat John Ryder in a way which maybe none of us were expecting and certainly when you feel like John Ryder was going to give Munguia a really really tough fight it just kind of makes you look a little bit silly, doesn't it? At times when you make these predictions where you believe, you know, a certain fighter will be good enough to hold his own and, and, and potentially cause an upset. And then when seemingly John Ryder looks old overnight and shot worn overnight in that fight with Munguia, you kind of sit there thinking to yourself, do I really know what I'm talking about?
2: Well, that's a nice little entry into the conversation. Matt. Yeah, it went there like a lead bloom, didn't it? I tell you, if we was in the desert, I tell you, there would have been a lot of tumbleweed. After Saturday night, um, I wasn't uh, i too pleased. My prediction didn't come to uh, fruition, but I'll tell you what, it was um, another sort of exciting performance by Munguil, wasn't it? And I don't particularly believe that an exciting performance equals beating Canelo, but it was certainly good for the eyes. Um, not necessarily really good for John Ryder's eyes. He down three times and got levered, didn't he? One of the better three.
1: He did, didn't he? Yeah, he got systematically broke down throughout the course of the the nine rounds that the fight went on for. And I'll be honest, I was quite, I was quite shocked because I've not really, I've not really seen John Ryder in trouble like that before. He got stopped by Nick Blackwell many moons ago, but ever since then, he's always been known as a very durable, tough opponent. And obviously, he gave callum smith a great fight as we spoke about where we felt he he won that fight He gave canelo a a great competitive fight where canelo weren't able to do what munguia did so of course fans of munguia now are, are all over this like a rash because they're now looking at that as a benchmark of where munguia's at because of that performance where canelo didn't beat him in the same fashion but munguia has done but yet my concern with these fans jumping on that bandwagon very quickly is that let's us, let's us be totally totally real about this situation now we know John Ryder we know he's a very good fighter if the same John Ryder that we saw against Callum Smith would have turned up and would have been able to perform the way you did against Callum Smith on that night we probably would have saw a different fight and that prediction you made probably wouldn't have set, felt so silly to yourself and to what to does that maybe predicted Ryder was going to win this fight He probably wouldn't have done, because looking on those performances, you would have anticipated that he was going to give Munguia the toughest test of his career, when, in fact, what actually happened was Munguia probably looked the best we've seen him in his career against a very reputable fighter in John Ryder, and what I liked about this fight, Jamie, what I liked about Munguia in this fight was his ability to get in and out and switch from head to body throughout the course of the fight. I watched the nine rounds with no commentary on and and it and it really helped and it really helped me to assess where munguia was at in terms of where he's come from and he definitely has improved greatly from the last few fights but with that being said he was fighting a john Ryder who for me we didn't know what he had left after canelo and i said that and i stressed that on the preview to everybody because i felt like that was going to be a telling factor and I just felt like looking at the fight now, in hindsight, it was, it was obvious that although John Ryder had his good moments in this fight with Munguia, he certainly wasn't able to perform the same way he did against Canelo. And and maybe, in fact, that Canelo fight did take quite a bit more out of him than what we anticipated. And bearing in mind he is also 35, and you'd expect him to be coming towards the end of his career, that was the risk in Munguia winning this fight would. Oh, as, as he picked up the leftovers of Canelo, and they were the words I was using in the last episode ahead of this fight. So, taking all that into consideration, Jamie, how did you assess Munguia's performance? Is it one of the better performances of his career, or is it going to be one of those situations that I anticipated it could be, where he's fought a guy that maybe has got old in that fight overnight? Uh, what I did, well,
2: um, to, to bring to the... Bring to the fore the, the big elephant in the room, really. Well, not an elephant in the room, so to speak, but, you know, he was having his first fight, Jamie Munguier, with trainer Freddie Roach. And uh, sometimes, you know, when, when fighters switch trainers, you see a, a noticeable difference for, for worse rather than better. But I did really did feel like um, it added another facet to Munguier's game. Uh, he was up previously under Eric Morales, who was an ultimate blood and guts warrior, wasn't he? Um, and really... You know, if you look at the Devinchenko fight, the previous fight to the Ryder one, he was just fighting as an archetypal Mexican in that one. Just go in. Don't particularly worry about defence. Just see if you can hit the opponent more than the opponent can hit you and and see what happens, you know. And uh, he was very, very lucky to... Well, I wouldn't say very lucky, but he was lucky in some respects uh, to, to score the knockdown because that... That led to the win against Ivory Inchenko. What uh, I did notice with Freddie Roach, and uh, you alluded to it before, you mentioned it explicitly, actually, not alluded to it. He said, you know, in and out, he was uh, focusing on sort of backwards boxing as well as front foot boxing. And, of course, uh, Freddie Roach had uh, not for one second comparing these two fighters, uh, using that word again explicitly, um, but Freddie Roach had Manny Pacquiao, who was an excellent proponent of sort of getting in and out and, you know, raiding, so to speak, and and going in, getting the job done and then leaving and being defensively sound. So maybe we're going to see a little bit of that game seeping in with Mungia, And it was a promising first fight to showcase those skills. So it's exciting. I still think there's defensive lapses. There were times where John Ryder caught him with the right hand and I think, you know, he could have made a lot more of his size and his strength, but maybe um, Mungia, you know, John Ryder obviously didn't like what was coming back from Munguio and was unable to press that advantage of size and, and use the right hand, um, which the, the right hand definitely showed the lapses of Munguio. So it'd be interesting to see as they sort of go along their journey, Roach and Munguia, how how they can improve, but a very good first fight to showcase that new relationship.
1: I agree. And for anybody that thinks that I am discrediting Munguio, because of my earlier comments about where John Ryder's at, absolutely not. I'm not discrediting that performance. Like I said, I actually think it's one of the better performances I've seen of his, and I enjoyed that style. I enjoyed the fact that he was compact, and he got in and he got out, and he switched from head to body. Yes, Jamie, the defensive lapses, I agree with you on that. That was something, obviously, I picked up on, and I'm sure many others did, is the fact that he's still susceptible at times to to get caught. Now, with a fighter like John Ryder, he's, he's essentially got away with it. The question remains is, would he get away with that against another fighter, i.e. a David Morrell or a David Benavides or even a Canelo? Would he get away with it against those fighters? You wouldn't expect so. You'd expect him to be more defensively sound going into much bigger fights. But now he's looking at the potential of, of fighting Canelo. That's exactly what he's talking about, you He's saying, Canelo. But for me, I feel like he needs to get past... The Morels and the Benavides is off the world first before he we, we jumps straight in for for that Canelo fight. That being said, again, the Canelo fight is going to sell, isn't it? And naturally, it's going to sell to Mexicans in Mexico, Mexico City. You know, it could make an absolute hell of a lot of money. And nobody will really care at the fact that he's not for David Benavides or he's jumped the queue ahead of David Benavides to get the Canelo fight. In an ideal world, and I know we don't live in an ideal world, I would like to see him fight a Benavidez or a Morel first. I honestly think he's going to get this Canelo fight. If the Canelo and Charlo fight happens in May, then we're looking at the September date. I think Munguia, Canelo, September is is quite a logical fight to happen. And yes, it will be exciting. Yes, I will look forward to it. But it's another one of those situations where if that does get signed, sealed and delivered... I'll be one of those people that will sit here and say, honestly, that maybe he needs these fights first before he gets the Canelo fight. People could argue any fighter could need that. You know, like a Jamal Charlo, if he's getting the fight, he needs a better fight before he fights Canelo, and so did his brother Jamel. Both of them probably needed better fights before they stepped in the ring with Canelo. But in the grand scheme of things, when the money's on the table, the TV networks want to do it, the promoters are all for it, it's it's going to happen. It sells itself. It's a story within itself. So we know how this sport goes and we know that the likelihood is the September date that Canelo always seems to hold now over the past few years is probably going to end up being Munguia versus Canelo. Likely to be in Mexico or unless it goes to Vegas and some big money's on the table. So we'll talk about that first before we move on to Ryder, of course. So what do you think about the prospects of the Canelo fight being next for Munguia? Do you agree it's it's it needs to happen next or are you kind of with me in the sense that ideally you'd like to see more of a, a an apprenticeship in, in, in that regard where he, he steps up to that elite level? It's like going through the underboss and then going to the boss. He hasn't been through the underboss first to get to the boss. It's like he's going to jump straight to the boss, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah, yeah definitely. And I think um, in, point, in fights that I do think Mungir um, should go through first because answering your question, I don't believe that that's the logical next step. It's also a fight I don't want to see. I think the fight in the super middleweight division everyone wants to see is David Bonavides against Canelo. That's the true Mexican king. Uh, that, that's the fight of the true Mexican kingship. And then, you know, the, the pretenders can step up after that. But I'd like to see um, Munguia going against Edgar Um I don't think that fight will happen just because of the design you know the the trajectories that they've got Melangro on I think they're going to try and keep Melangro undefeated for as long as possible when he, he doesn't exactly look like he's setting the world or like yeah he's a big puncher but you know if he's uh, if he's selling keep him winning you know um I'd like to see him clear the way there and let's see if he can really take a shot um cuz Deverinchenko did push him back and everything yeah but you know that was with the old style I don't want to see the the Canelo fight again. Just reiterating that. Uh, next, sorry, reiterating that point. Uh, just because I don't believe, yeah, I'm just repeating what you said. Basically, I don't believe he's uh, he's at that level yet. He, he does need to just work his way out. Maybe getting in against Charlo would be another um, would would be another avenue to go down. Seeing as he, you know, went up against Canelo last time, we'll see what happens. Um, but no. Again, in answer to your question, definitely not. I don't want to see Mungia next. I want to see Ben Benavides, and then maybe have uh, Canelo just round off his career nicely with Mungia. Nice little homecoming fight in Mexico against the Mexican. But he needs to clear up the super middleweight division decisively before he does that.
1: So let's talk about John then and John Ryder's career at this point. I think it's safe to say, and many of us probably feel the same when I say this, is I think it's time to go. I think it's time to retire for John Ryder now. If he hasn't been paid well from the Canelo and Manguia fights, then I don't know what will pay him well. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he's been compensated greatly in taking on those major challenges in his career. And who would have thought maybe a few years ago, he would have got to that stage where he was having fights with guys like that. I mean, a few years back, we probably wouldn't have even thought about that. So for him to have got to that point where he's had those fights and they are essentially defining nights in his career, despite the fact that they're losing ones, they are. When you look back at the body of work that he's produced in his career, you will look at it and think he, he was he was much better than maybe what people gave him credit for. The fact that he was in an era and a division around some of the best super middleweights that we've had in the past 15, 20 years. So for him to have been in, in that arena amongst those fighters... Testament to really where he took his career. I think it's time to retire personally. I think it's there's nothing more for him to do in his career. He's achieved what his ceiling clearly is within the sport and he's challenged himself against the best fighters that are around. Bearing in mind, again, he fought Callum Smith when he was a super middleweight and he was arguably the best super middleweight around at that time. So for him to have done that against Smith and had a great fight and arguably won against Smith, for him to have fought Canelo, for him to have fought Munguia, who who knows, who could go on to be the ruler of the super middleweight division. We don't know. So when you look back on that body of work that he's achieved in his career, I think it's safe to say he's it's probably achieved more than what people maybe thought he could do. And I think he's had a good career. I hope he's been paid well for those last two fights. But quite honestly, seeing what I saw in the Munguia fight and how he shipped a lot of more punishment than what I've seen before, I'd like to see him call time on his career now.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think there is um, definitely, you know, there's some miles on the clock there. And if I'm being really savage about it, um, you know, achievement-wise, like he, he's done all right for himself, but has he really achieved as much as
1: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to blue Nile.com. That's blue Nile.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's
0: not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com
2: as he as he could have done i mean you know if, if achievement is if achievement's money then yeah he's, uh, he's laughing all the way to the bank innit but you know Derek Chisora, for example, uh heavyweight Derek Chisora, he's been in against every contender, but he's not beating them, has he? Um, I don't want to be horrible on uh, John Ryder here, but, you know, are we are we equating success to money or actual achievements? Yes, I believe he did beat Callum Smith, um, but on paper, no, he didn't. And this is why, even though, I again, I agree with you, Sean, I don't think he should carry on fighting because I think he's open to all sorts of uh, potential injuries later on down the line in his life. But he may want to maybe drop down a level uh, and, and see whether he can, you know, secure a British title or or something to that effect. I don't think he'll want to leave the sport the way that he has done. He's never, I don't believe he's ever won a won a title. Has he of any note? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. So, you know, maybe he'll want to, maybe he'll want to write that wrong and use the experience that he's, uh, Fighting at these higher levels to see whether he can at least take a strap home, you know what I mean?
1: I understand that. I understand why why you would kind of feel that maybe there is a little bit of life left in him yet. And and when you do look at like what he he has done in his career, yeah, you're right. You know, in terms of the big, big British domestic fights he has been involved in, you know, you look at the fight with Billy Joe Saunders, you lost that, and that was for the British Middleweight and Commonwealth Middleweight title. He has won WBO Intercontinental titles in the middleweight division. He didn't win the British title again when he challenged Nick Blackwell in 2015. Then, obviously, he eventually moves up in his career, doesn't he? And, you know, he lost that fight with Jack Arnfield in 2016 as well. And I'm just looking at his career as we're speaking now with another one, British Super Middleweight challenge against Rocky Fielding, loses via split decision then you look at when he then really gets that big step up in his career it's it's strange this when you look at his career on paper now he's like he wasn't able to win a british title against the good british fighters that were around at the time however when he stepped up and he started to take on fighters that were pushing world level it was strange like he jumped up a level within himself as a fighter and became a better fighter so when I refer to jumping up in level, he fought Andre Sorotkin, and I remember him beating Sorotkin. He was 15 you know, at the time. He beat Sorotkin. There was nothing on the line for that, but that certainly put him in prime position then to to move forward in his career. In the very next fight, he faces Belil Akwai and beats Akwai in Las Vegas, who was 20 you know, at the time when he fought him. He then takes that WBA interim super middleweight title. That's what put him in line for the Callum Smith shot. And it was that showing against Callum Smith in particular that really put him on that world stage so yeah I I, I understand what you're saying Jamie and, and obviously I don't need to correct you because you're not wrong you are correct in saying that he didn't win a, a domestic major title and then we talk about where he's got to in his career and does success equate to money well I think in his case it probably does because he wasn't able to get the titles that most fighters would dream of getting which is the british title he had two opportunities in two different divisions but didn't win but i suppose when you look at the body of work that he has got and the victories he had has it in his career and, and where he's gotten to in his career and what he's been able to and get to in terms of the level and the people he was fighting i i honestly say that is is for me it's an overachievement 100 percent an overachievement uh, but it is still success because there are fighters that are like John Ryder, who may never actually win a title, but may never even get past that point where they're able to then get a couple of good victories on the bounce. That puts them in in prime position to go on and fight the best in the world or even the best of generations. So if you're going to look at someone's body of work and, and, and scrutinise it, I think you have to be, like you say, you have to be a bit savage at times and look at what he hasn't won, but also look where a string of performances did lead into and how quickly that changed things for him so okay he didn't get a british title could he go back down and win a british title at this stage of his career i I do still think it's possible if i'm being honest with you i mean i look at the the super middleweight division at the moment of course and you know zach chelly is the british champion he's just been recently crowned after beating of course jack cullen in that fight a week or so ago and he has the commonwealth title so effectively he could step down in in levels and fight a Zach Chelly and become a British champion and end his career on on a high note, it depends on him, doesn't it? It really depends on him and how how does he measure his own career. We're scrutinizing it and looking at things and accolades, but if he measures his success by the people he's been able to get in the ring with and the money that he's earned from it, then he's gonna be he's gonna be happy and he'll be a satisfied man. But if he is a different breed of a fighter where he believes that look, I can't go out of this sport without at least trying to achieve the feat of winning the Lord Lonsdale belt which is a a huge belt for us in the UK ideally Jamie if you were in his position now and I'm talking massively theoretically of course if you was in his position now you've just come off two big fights two really difficult fights really soul-searching fights where he's probably shipped a lot more punishment than he has in his career in that That two fights, would you really want to then risk yourself going back down and putting yourself out there again for the sake of winning the British title? Or would you look at where you're at in your career? Look, I've just fought the two best super middleweight fighters around. I've earned X amount of pounds, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of revenue that set me up for life. Do I really want to put myself on the line again for the sake of fighting for the Lord Lonsdale belt for the British title when I? could literally just go out and maybe open his own gym, build his own community. What would you do, Jamie, if it was you?
2: Um, If that was me, obviously the the first thing you'd do, you'd sit down with your family and you would look at that bank balance that we discussed before. Um, You'd look to see how healthy that is, how much of that you can invest. Obviously all the financial implications to the the two fights. But also if I'm John Ryder, I know I made the savage comment before, I was just trying to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, if I was John Ryder, I would look at, you know, the the ability that I've had to upset the apple cart in terms of British prospects. And Zach Shelley's a British prospect at the moment. Um, you forgot Zach Parker when he was assessing that career, you know. I think Zach Parker was 22 and I, I believe, um, when they fought. And Zach Parker was meant to be the next big thing. Obviously, of course, he broke his hand, um, which can't be, can't be old, can I suppose? Um, but you know he's still registered. Uh, John with a win there, so I'd maybe look at look at those rankings, realize what he's done in the past. Now we can sort of um overall all of these prospects and and just see whether it's worth a shot. Um, of course he'll be sitting down with his family, and um I'm sure they'll they'll have quite a large say in how they feel about him going back to the ring as well, because it can't be nice watching your dad, watching your hu- husband, watching your son, you know, get beaten to a pulp and that's essentially well pretty much what he was the, the other day I mean he did fight back valiantly but at the end of the day the, the towel was effectively thrown in so you've got to look at look at circumstances really if I was John Ryder um, uh, yeah well I've mentioned haven't I about the uh, you know the success equator a bank balance I'd be looking at the money first and foremost and then um, weighing that up with my desire i um, I'm sure He's probably still got some left in the tank in terms of desire. He's a warrior, John Ryder, but you know, are his uh, faculties going to abandon him sooner rather than later? And you know, he's going to get really hurt in the end. So, yeah, the yeah, the answer there is just you know, it, it depends. He's got to see whether he's still hungry.
1: So we'll move on from the Ryder and Munguia fight, and we'll just round up a couple of the results before we talk about. A couple of the fight announcements I mentioned at the top of the show. So if you watched the card in Belfast, you would have saw Lewis Crocker go to 19-0 with a fifth round TK over Jose Felix. You would have seen Siobhan Clark getting a really good win over Tommy McCarthy and it felt like a, a really good step in the right direction, as we mentioned in the preview for Siobhan Clark getting that victory on the card. Good wins of Paddy Donovan and Connor Walker and Kurt Walker also on this particular card. So that was the boxing from the weekend. That was of interest to us and probably to a lot of you as that would have tuned into it over the weekend. But what I'm interested in talking about now as we come towards the end of the Big Fight Reaction show is the announcement, as I mentioned at the top, which was Keith Thurman returning after a hefty layoff to fight Tim Zhu. The same Tim Zhu we were talking about in the boxing wish list a couple of weeks ago about fights we want to see him involved in this year. When we were talking about that, I genuinely wouldn't have thought that this would have been a fight that would have been announced just a couple of weeks later. So, Tim Zhu versus Keith Furman. Keith Furman moving up to the super welterweight division to fight, arguably, the the best fighter aside from Charlo in the division, and maybe even some look at Zhu as the better fighter in the division. But the fact that he's fighting Keith Furman, which is a, a great name to have on his resume, but it isn't really the fight that we... We do want to see for Tim Zhu. And then the other fight that's been announced as Roley Romero is taking on Isaac Cruz, which I I was surprised to see, to be honest, because I honestly thought that he would be then mandated to fight Barroso next and that he wouldn't be automatically fighting Cruz. Uh, I don't know the logistics of the actual bout and whether that title is actually going up as a voluntary defence against Cruz. So I'm just surprised by him taking that fight, because I do think that's a fight that I think he loses. So, let's just talk about the two fights that have been announced then, Jamie. First, starting with Keith Thurman taking on Tim Zoo Well, Thurman,
2: um, they shouldn't really call him even one time nowadays, should they? I mean, he's, his career is stalled in, in every way possible. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's a very cynical matchup, I believe. Um, cynical, but... but... I can see why they've done it. It's a good introduction to sort of, uh, uh, I'm presuming the fight will be in America, be a good introduction to Timzo into America. You know, he can start really building on the uh, new name and the re-establishment of the, you know, that dynasty, the fighting dynasty. And uh, what better way to do it than uh, follow up with his string of violent KOs that he uh, he has undertaken last. Last year, you know, and he'll be able to do that against Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman, who's not been very active at all, even when he was active, you know. So a nice violent KO will be a, a keep warm fight, and then we'll we'll see sort of what happens there, you know, whether he can clear up the division. In terms of the uh, Rolly Romero and the Isaac Cruz fight, I'm as surprised as you with that one, particularly if he has picked it as a voluntary. Because I tell you, you know what, Roly Romero's got. Uh, He's got some nuts if that's the case, because I can see uh, the pit bull, you know, getting hold of him and ragdolling him all over the place. And, and to use a, to use a fighting dog analogy, perhaps uh, I can't really see that ending too well for Raleigh, But he's obviously a, a lot more uh, confident of his abilities than we are, Sean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was very surprised to see him taking that fight. And just quickly looking at it while you were talking, there it is a voluntary defense. He is defending the WBA super lightweight. Brown, which i'm very surprised at like i'm surprised that that the wba are allowing that to happen and they've not mandated the baroso fight straight away rather than and letting him pick a, a voluntary given the fact that he's obviously had injury and he's come back from injury and obviously there was a delay in actually the fight for the wba super lightweight title happening so that's why we had the interim fight between davis and Barroso in the meantime so yeah he's it's, it's a bit of a peculiar decision and a peculiar fighter to be getting in the ring with because I genuinely think Isaac Cruz can beat Roly Romero. I think I think what we've established Jamie over the past few months is that Roly Romero is a fighter which I think we believe is probably the weakest champion of this division. and any fighter that gets in the ring is always going to get respect from from anybody like us who cover this sport. But when you're talking in terms of, of champions and, and the quality of opposition that are around, you do look at him as the weak champion. You look at him as the easier target in the division for someone to become a champion, which is the problem with the four-belt era and having so many belts is it allows and facilitates lesser-skilled lesser, lesser skilled opponents to go on to become champions. And I think in a, in a, in a one- or two-belt division, you wouldn't see Roley Romero get a chance at a fight with someone like a Javonta Davis, or you wouldn't see Rodney Romero getting an opportunity at a title, maybe as a voluntary defence for one of these guys, who'd probably be too good for him, just like Davis was when when he fought him. But that's an interesting an interesting comparison, because obviously, Javonta Davis has fought both of these guys, so these are both Javonta Davis' victims going in. I think when you look at the comparison, Isaac Cruz give Javonta Davis a, a really tough, tough fight, when they fought in 2021, whereas obviously Romero, he was systematically broken down and and beaten by Javante Davis. So looking at how that mutual opponents done against them both, for me, he just feels like Isaac Cruz is going to become the next WBA champion, and we're going to see Barroso versus Cruz next. So I'm I'm very surprised that, that that particular fight is happening, and out of interest as well, Jamie, just as a, as a side mention. For the card, uh, what I wasn't aware of until now was the fact that Erislandi Lara is actually on the card. He's defending his WBA middleweight title against Michael Sarafa. You know, the same Sarafa who we saw a few years ago against Jeff Horn, And of course, against our very own Cal Brook in 2018. So... That's another fight for the card that has been announced on there and the return of Sebastian Fundora also makes up this card because Sebastian Fundora is actually fighting for the vacant WBC crown that was stripped from Jamel Charlo who has been announced to be a champion in recess is what they've called him now this week, the WBC and he's fighting Sahail Bachuk um, for that right to be the WBC champion and this is the same... Patrick uh, who's lost to Brandon Adams a couple of years back as well so an interesting an interesting state of play in that division as well with, with the changes that have been made of course with Charlo going up and then losing one of his belts and then another belt then going and basically because of that one fight with Canelo he's lost a couple of his belts now and, and other people are starting to hoover up the division a little bit but I think the big news out of all them fights is of course Tim Zo and, and Keith Furman and the peculiar, peculiar bout that it is actually becoming. Not really the bout we want to see. It is it is happening in Las Vegas, and it is a good way to obviously continue to introduce Tim Zhu to the American audience because, let's be honest, if we want to see these big fights against the likes of Jamel Charlo, he's going to be over in America. They ain't going to get it over to Australia. So if he's to go in there and absolutely destroy Keith Thurman the way he's been destroying his previous 24 opponents, then... I think we are potentially in for a, a mega fight by the end of the year between the two of them.
2: Yeah, I think that's all it is, really. And like I said, a bit of cynical matchmaking um, in, in my eyes. You know, they just want to add his record with a knockout. Um, I don't think that's the most bizarre fight, really, that you've mentioned there. I understand Erez Landilara against Michael Zarafa. Um, what, what has Zarafa done? Uh, absolutely nothing. You know, it just it. It feels like... You know, the last couple of weeks, um, when we've mentioned the Romeros and, you know, Barroso and stuff like that, it just seems like the the, the rest, you know, the the sort of, um, I, I don't know, the, the the unwanted material at the bottom of the barrel, they're just all finding out to be like just this, I don't know, the, the WBA hasn't got that much credibility, I, I don't believe really, in terms of a title, because you've got the super champion, the regular champion and all that, and... I've mentioned this before, it's sort of these little round robin of batch ups, they're taking me back to the days of the old WBU, the World Boxing Union, where, you know, people would go around calling themselves a world champion when they've really not got that distinction in the eyes of many. They've got the belt, but they haven't got the, uh, the credentials. They haven't got the, the true credentials to call themselves a world champion. You know, the i b r has taken that mantle recently. Um, and, you know, the i b r is more credible. They've got the their ranking system's more respectable. You can only move up if you beat the guy above you. Um, but yeah, I think the WBA are a bit of a, a bit of a sort of laughing stock. Letting Michael Zarafa in, and you know, just seeing this round robin of fights that we've had over the past few weeks, and you know, it makes me tired of boxing because, as you said, Rolly Romero would never have never have even got a shot in any other era. Do you know what I mean? It just gives these guys an opportunity when the skill level doesn't match the uh. Doesn't match the accomplishment.
1: No, oh, absolutely. I agree and I'm sure that is another conversation for another day. Probably for about the fiftieth time. Not everybody has had this conversation uh, on this podcast many, many times. Uh, but guys, I think that's about it for this big fire reaction show. We've got nothing else to cover for the time being. Of course, we are going to be back a little bit later in the week with another episode, the Big Fight Preview for Joshua Boazzi and Dan Aziz. It's a big fight in the light heavyweight division. It has significance, not just on these shores in the UK, but worldwide because of where these two guys are at in their career. So we will be covering that also this week. If you haven't seen the latest episode of Legendary Nights, episode 6, The Tale of Joe Lewis versus Billy Conn is now available to listen to. Please make sure you go and have a listen to the latest episode of the Legendary Nights series. Finally, I just want to say thank you to everybody, as always, for listening to the show. Thank you for providing us feedback. Thank you for leaving comments on Spotify or if you've watched some of the content on YouTube. Thanks so much for commenting on the YouTube content as well. It is really appreciated. A big thank you to the patrons of the podcast for subscribing to us through patreon.com. We hope you've been enjoying your early access to the Legendary Night series and, of course, ad-free Versions of every single episode which goes up on there as well if you want to become a patron you can find us at patreon.com forward slash btr boxing podcast well that is it for this episode thank you as always for listening to the big fight reaction on btr boxing podcast network how do you
0: like it how do you like it wish i was 50 years younger and i'd kick your ass it's over